0: Love To Radio.
1: This is Creativity and Play. I'm Steve Dahlberg.
2: And I'm Mary Alice
1: Long. You can find us online and be notified at future shows at CreativityandPlay.com. Follow us on Facebook and Twitter at Creativity Play download archive editions on iTunes. Our guest today on Creativity and Play is Fran Soren, author of Digging Deep, Unearthing Your Creative Roots Through Gardening, a book that addresses gardening in the context of creativity and as a tool for joy and well-being. As a gardening expert, Fran has appeared in numerous television features, and her Digging Deep gardening features are heard several times a week on CBS radio stations as well throughout the United States. She's one of the co-founders of the GardeningGoneWild.com blog as well. Fran Thorn, welcome to Creativity and Play.
0: Oh, it's so great to be here. I love the name of your show.
1: <laughs> Thank you, and uh, I love the name of your book. It, uh, it, it fits, I think, what we do on this show by uh, digging deep into creativity and play, and uh, it's great to have such a wonderful metaphor today to uh, talk about this topic and and I'm curious how you came to bring these two topics of creativity and gardening together because you, in addition to what we said in the opening short bio, you, you've been very involved in media and you uh, are a uh, creativity and gardening expert both and you've know, yeah, you know, involved in community well, yeah. work and,
0: Yeah, lots of stuff like all of us. I think when you, you know, when you're, all of us are creative, that's number one. I mean, as you all know, and it's just a matter of accessing it. And for me, I was really, really lucky, Steve, as I was telling you and Mary Alice earlier, that I started playing piano when I was five. And little did I realize by age eight, I was one of those kids that just loved it, loved doing my scales, and I'd be home after school practicing. And I was getting into peak experiences. I was do, having what Maslow called peak experiences. So I'd be sitting at the piano crying and sobbing and playing, but it was beautiful. It was really rapture. Yeah, and I never understood it until I got older um, as a college student studying Maslow or high school and then appreciating the creative process. I studied it in uh, at the University of Chicago with Erica Thum, who was my mentor. But the bottom line is, when I got into gardening, and I, I was self-taught I mean, I learned, I apprenticed, I took courses. But everybody, I got into the media, I was teaching people because when I become passionate about something, I get into it wholeheartedly, wholeheartedly. And everybody was saying to me, Franny, you have to write a book to become an expert. And I'm thinking, what? No, I don't. I, you know, I do <laughs> want to write a book. I mean, that's crazy. I was on national TV. What do I need to write a book for? But one day, i got to tell you, so I resisted, resisted, Steve and Mary Alice, and one day I'm on all fours in the garden, I go, oh, my gosh, this is it. It's all about peak experiences and the creative process. And it just kind of unfolded for me and it became a really a true delight to write the book because it was something i was passionate about sharing the message about how to use gardening as a creative as a conduit to access your creativity
2: so
1: so give us some examples of of what that means practically speaking as as people
0: well i i think, I think what happens things. okay let me yeah good question i think what happens is we live in a world today of productivity yes where People look at gardening magazines or whatever whatever it is. We want to be as good as, better than, having it look a certain way versus focusing on the process and trusting our own instincts. So it's a matter of when you go into the garden, and a lot of gardeners do it without even knowing it, they become mindful and they go into an altered state of consciousness. When they allow themselves to, if they use gardening as a tool um, to meditate and just go about doing their task quietly. It doesn't mean you can't be productive. So when you get into that zone of just digging the weeds and pulling up the weeds and noticing the uh, you know the earthworms underneath and you're marveling, you go into a state of how beautiful nature is. It rips away all that kind of. Um, ego stuff, and and it it pulls us, it's a transformative experience. It pulls us into another way of being in the world. And that is exactly where creativity occurs, as far as I'm concerned, one way that you can access creativity. Am I making sense? Absolutely. So, so Fran,
2: I just stepped in, Oh well, I just moved to a new home and Mm -hmm. uh, join the community garden, and so I'm digging in the dirt in in that garden and also around around the house, and, you know, I love to play. So how, you know, and in your book you talk about play as part of the process. So can you tell us about your take on play in the garden and how that leads to creativity and maybe a couple suggestions to try?
0: That oh, that's a good question yeah yeah i I think when you go out with fixed ideas, first of all, for me, play is an attitude, and so it goes we'll talk about the garden, but it goes way beyond the garden. um you can meet a person and in one moment know if they're playing, and it's the way you interact with everything in life, so if we go back to the garden. And you go in with a very, very fixed notion of what needs to be done. There's a rigidity. And and one of the things that us gardeners are also known for are being control freaks. You know, those gardens where you see everything is neat and proper and it looks like a museum (laughs) quality. And usually, and it can be a beautiful garden. For me, though, it lacks soulfulness and playfulness and movement. And people who play in the garden know it's an attitude of, number one, not taking it too seriously. Um, it doesn't mean it can't be an art form also to be willing to take risks. So to try things differently than maybe what you thought you were going to do. I mean, I never designed a garden that ended up looking the same as my intent was when I first went out to plan it. Because I think once you're outside and you de- begin to get involved, you allow yourself to stay open and flexible to what might be. So for me that's part of being a playful attitude of um being willing to be lighthearted but also um impish and to take what's there and and then move with it in the moment. A lot of it is, you know, to me play and improvisation go hand in hand to a great deal.
2: Yes, and so uh, what are a couple things that people in your book you, you have a couple things to try out? What are a couple suggestions? Well, pro- there the are there
0: options? are there are so many things. First of all, um, I, I strongly suggest that everybody keep a nature nature journal. The first thing. Gardeners and non-gardeners, it doesn't hurt any of us to do, is to become aware and connect to all of our senses and begin to observe. Because even gardeners, a lot of us don't take time to observe. So it's taking the time when I say go on a nature walk or go in your backyard and get out there and take some deep breaths, slow down, and really get up close to plant material. And, you know, when you take the time to look at a leaf or a tulip petal or a rose petal or whatever, put your face up close into a peony, it really opens you up to possibilities and you see things and experience things differently. So that's that's one very simple thing for gardeners and non-gardeners to do. Um, the other thing also, when you're planning a garden, I love for people to just start ripping things out. Now we have Pinterest, but um, what I used to do was rip things out of magazines, anything that appealed to me, and then just... Put them out and put them on a board, you know, a board to see, well, what did I come up with? What was my, what were my likes and dislikes? And what was my, what were my instincts telling me? That's Mm -hmm. another thing. And then another big thing, which is the most popular exercise I do when I do workshops, it's called playing with flowers. And whether you buy flowers at the store or you cut flowers from your backyard, you just Use rather than thinking I'm going to arrange these flowers, think in terms of playing with flowers. And again, don't go in with the idea of I've got to arrange them this way. Go in open to the opportunity of not knowing what you're going to do and pulling out different vases and containers. And putting on that classical music and, or jazz or whatever, slowing down and using it as a time to play quietly and see what comes alive for you and experiment. And it's the same in the garden, Mary Alice. I mean, if you don't like something, take it out. Or if it, 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 even if something is not um, considered in style, like pink and orange flowers, but you want to try it, well, Why won't you? Why won't you play with that and do it? So my suggestion is for people who are used to following um, the tried and true path, start experimenting in your garden on small things. Take baby steps, and then that will lead to larger steps along the way.
2: Thank you.
1: I was thinking, as you talked about getting up close to the rose petal, doing that this morning with my almost two-year-old with the the rose petals are not out yet in Connecticut, but the, the roses are sending out tiny little shoots now and I was very close this morning doing that. So it uh <laughs> me as a very good real example.
0: But it's true, and 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 you know the other thing, Steve. If people, if all of us, like there's a big, um, if if any of your listeners are listening, they're not gardeners. This this idea that you have to put a lot of time into the garden, and people are intimidated by that. Well, that's just not true. Even somebody who can put in 15 minutes a day. Again, it's that attitude of how are you going to use it um, to not only create a beautiful garden or a small garden but to inform you in the rest of your life and just taking the time to go out in the morning in your garden for five, 10 minutes, whether it's weeding or just standing and taking in the scene and being surrounded by beauty. I mean, nature is a great elixir. It's it's a phenomenal way um, to be present and mindful and to let loose, to let go of our consciousness of all the things we need to do in a day.
1: I was going to ask you sort of about this question you're talking about. Because some of the a couple of the topics that you talked about are about letting go of control and helping overachievers learn to let go. Can you elaborate a little bit more on? Oh yeah,
0: on it's really it's it's, it's it's yeah. I'm, I'm, trying to so on,
1: I'm No, no, go ahead. Well, it's,
0: it's, you know, it's one of my, as somebody who started off as a perfectionist and, you know, very passionate, I had to get it right. Somebody who can barely, um, I'm, I'm very much into the natural look now. It is really, again, our culture very, very much with all of the flower shows. Everything is perfect. And all I can say to people is, go into a woodland, go to nature, go to a naturalized garden, whatever you need to do to see that nature was never meant to be perfect. And our our idea that we need to control it and, and turn it into perfection and overachievers, a lot of gardeners are overachievers and they're competitive. And I'm saying, no, it will become yet another burden, another task for you, another place where you have to achieve rather than the garden is a relationship, and it's a place of nurturing. And if you can use it, let go, and remind yourself every day to go out there and enjoy being in nature and digging. I mean, it's really primordial. Our need to connect to nature is primordial. And so to use it as that, and to use it to really fill your soul up without sounding hokey, I'm sure I do, but it's the truth. And I'm telling you, if people do that even 10 minutes a day, it's a great foundation to make it through the day in a calm way and in a grounded way.
2: It, you know, Fran, I'm, I, all kinds of things are going through my brain, but one of them is um, I'm thinking about the garden out here, and around us are, we're surrounded by mountains and water here in the northwest. Mm. And so there is a sense of, I mean, the mountains are not perfect, of, of, that they, they look perfect to me, <laughs> so beautiful, and being out there, I, I'm able to take that in, yet, on the other hand, I'm out there, and yesterday, and in the beautiful sun, and all this around, and people are telling me what to do in the garden,
0: so, oh no. it happens,
2: of course, all the time, right, and, uh, but my mantra has been for years, I'm constantly, almost every day saying to somebody, look, you're unique. You are not mm-hmm. like everyone else. Not every, there is no human or non-human animal in the world who is like everyone else. So That's what right. do you what do you tell people about? Oh, their own you know, being their own unique selves and digging in digging. Well, deep the garden. If, if you're that.
0: well, if you if you are going to really let loose and not just plan in patience or do what everybody else in the neighborhood is doing, the garden becomes um, a pathway to the soul, and it really is an imprint from your soul, and it's the willingness to take that risk and say, hey this garden is really all about pleasing me. This is not a showcase. If I want to put certain colors and textures or I don't know what the heck I'm doing, but this year I'm going to experiment with 10 million different things, that's the way to go. And I think we live in a culture of totally um, feeling that, you know, so many of us, and I know I've experienced it um, throughout my years from childhood on, not enough, not smart enough, not good enough, not creative enough when in fact the, only thing that matters with gardening and most things in life is that it should please you, and the garden is so forgiving. So that's what I have worked with, with clients over the years, and when most people really marry Alice, just need to be told it's okay to let go. Nobody's judging you. You are the judge of yourself, and the beauty of nature is, I mean, the wabi-sabi of nature that everything is imperfect. And impermanent. And we all are, you know, as, as human beings, we continually change. Our gardens change. And gardening, I mean, you develop a relationship with your garden and your plants, and it's delicious.
2: Can you tell us uh, or share a story of someone that you've worked with in designing their garden and helping them define that flavor that their own sense of themselves and you know when when at first maybe they weren't they were headed towards more shape and <laughs>
0: Yeah, I'm actually thinking of clients here. I didn't write about them in my book, but um in Philadelphia. And uh she was they're both very creative at the couple and they lived on a block a, a city block in Philadelphia in a neighborhood that was somewhat derelict and at the beginning they were fighting left and right and they wanted to do it right and then I just looked at them and I said, "You're both artists. Come on, think about how you are Susan when you're when you're doing your dance moves and Jimmy when you're drumming or composing." And they both got into the groove of that mindset and they were able to work together. Each of them brought pieces of themselves to the garden. And they were able to work together and transform what they thought it should be into letting it be what it was meant to be. And I think if you don't go in with preconceived notions, it makes life so much easier. And so what does the garden look like? Oh, it's delightful. I'm going to go over. I haven't seen it in a few years. I mean, and and now the neighbors, I mean, they have a cutting garden in the front. It's an old Victorian home. And then the back, they've turned it into, they have a stone pathway in the back, but with a large backyard and just beds on either side. There's veggies on one side. I mean, it's a very practical garden. We're not talking about a fancy highfalutin garden. And these were not people with a lot of money. And then beautiful bushes and uh, perennials. And neither of them have a huge amount of time to put into the garden. But it was it, the last time I saw it, it was stunning. I'm going to see her next week, so I'll be able to um, see more of what it looks like now. So then that's, you can report back. Good. I'm sorry, what? Then you can report back. Oh, yeah. yeah. And, and, gardens, and gardens are constantly changing, just as we are. And so, again, it's a wonderful place to just let loose and... Um, gain a lot of self-acceptance in the process also.
1: We are talking to Fran Soren, who's the author of Digging Deep, Unearthing Your Creative Roots Through Gardening and Exploring Connections Between Creativity and Gardening and Lots of Other Connections. Uh, Before we uh, went on the air, you were telling us that you have been living in Israel for the last seven years, I think you said. Uh, Mm -hmm. I assume you probably were gardening while you were living over there.
0: Yeah, well, one of the requirements. I came from a large garden in the suburbs of Philadelphia, uh, you know, for the past 37 years, and then I moved to the city in Tel Aviv with a totally different climate. I was adamant about having rooftops, and so I, w- I really lucked out and got um, a front rooftop garden and then a back rooftop vegetable garden, which is almost unheard of. And I'm having a blast. And, so I, I, um, a I, I, I'm guessing those. I, I'm
1: guessing those experiences. I'm. I'm assuming, anyways, but... Gardening in Philadelphia and gardening in Tel Aviv were very different experiences. So I'm wondering what different kind of learnings you took out of those different experiences of gardening in terms of these bigger ideas we're talking about in uh, our, our personal yeah, experience gardening. Yeah, I'll, I'll
0: tell you, yeah, no, truthfully, I mean, the bottom line is you've got to embrace wherever you are. And I think this is great in gardening and I think it's a great part of creativity is embracing what you have. Use your imagination, use memories, um, improvise. I mean, imagination and dreaming is wonderful, but ultimately I didn't have a huge lot to deal with here. And working in a smaller space was much more difficult and I don't own my apartment. I do not own it, so I was... Um, going to not spend a lot of money on, um, you know, designing things. So you need to embrace what is and accept it and then create from there. And as far as I'm concerned, all great artwork works within limitations. There are great limitations in in jazz or in any kind of art um, So I've I've embraced that, and I still miss my garden in Philadelphia, but there's beauty to gardening in Tel Aviv on my rooftop where I have sunflowers blooming in December, and I'm sure the tomatoes and beans are already sprouting. So I think having a positive attitude and being joyful about what it is you're creating wherever you are is really the key um, to feeling open and creative as well. If you close down and you're living in a state, Steve, of, of if-only-if or when versus this is where I am, this is what I have, now what can I do with it?
1: you, you mentioned food a couple times in your gardening experience, but we haven't specifically talked about that. Do you, do you carry through some of these ideas that you're talking about, in terms of the planting and the weeding and the things in the garden, into the harvesting and the eating—if it, it—if it's indeed animal to do that with—I
0: I don't think I understood your question.
1: I uh, I just wonder how you carry through some of the ideas we're talking about when it comes into the eating of the of what you're gardening. Oh my gosh! Are. Yes.
0: Oh, you know, you know, I worked with kids in projects. Um, they used to come to my—I um, had an inner city project—and the kids would come to my garden. And they would be picking the tomatoes and you'd see them eating fresh tomatoes from a garden for the first time in their life. And it's like a miracle to them. They finally associated that the food came from the ground that they could eat and it was delicious. Well, guess what? At my stage of life and I've been harvesting tomatoes and beans for I don't know how many years, it's still a miracle. And so when I have, I know my family actually is at my home right now in in Israel, having a birthday party for somebody, and I know they're using the beans, sautéing the beans, and I don't think the tomatoes are out yet. But they marvel at it. I mean, long purple beans that you you know you wash, you cut, you sauté with olive oil and garlic. It's it's a wonderful sense of being connected to the earth. Great appreciation for food, and you're creating community. You know, when you garden together, and even when you don't garden, if you live in a neighborhood and you hand out veggies to your neighbors, it's delightful. Yes, the
2: the garden right behind us. There's a um, some of the garden plots are devoted to our food bank, and um, so that's a nice segue into. I was wondering what you you thought about the connections between uh, gardening and community and how to create um, stronger, more playful, and creative communities through gardening.
0: Well, it's it's interesting. I'm working on a community garden that I started um, last year at a church in West Philadelphia. And it's an interesting thing to observe. We we supply the veggies for their soup kitchen, um, you know, when we can. And it's we have a group of Drexel students who have gotten involved with this, and they're very serious uh, students. And for many of them, when they're in the garden, they talk about, how it feels like they can play and how for the first time in their life in many, many years they feel like they're really being productive. And when we started harvesting the crops last summer and brought them into the kitchen and I saw the cook there and some of the congregants, there was there were moments of gratitude and awe that went with it. So, yes, I think it, it, it developed community in a beautiful way. Yeah, and I know you
2: also um, do have a practice of um, giving out flowers, <laughs> yeah. which is a beautiful practice. I love
0: it is. I started giving out. I was so upset with people in the city who don't look at each other when they walk down the streets. I mean, I I was used to it driving in the suburbs of Philadelphia, a kind of rudeness and cut-off place. But in Tel Aviv, people were um, walking down the streets texting and, you know, not looking at each other and I was complaining for about a year and then I said, no, 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 no. So I just decided to start giving out flowers to strangers and I would go to the flower market there and just stop strangers on the street and I was pleasantly surprised that the majority of them were very responsive and shocked that somebody would do that and it often not always often opened up a dialogue on shifting paradigms on how we can live and what's important in life and the beauty of flowers also how important flowers are and it has been heartwarming beyond belief I do it in Philadelphia now also But the truth is, Mary Alice and Steve, if I did just that the rest of my life, handing out flowers, I get more pleasure out of it as the people who receive it. It's just an incredible experience.
1: Your bio didn't say performance artist and socially engaged artist. I think you need to add a description to your. Uh, oh well,
0: <laughs> your you know work I, I I studied improv and theater, uh, improvisational theater, and taught it for many years. So for me, it's not difficult to do. Um, but yeah, no, I mean it's it doing the giving away of flowers on the street is actually a revolutionary act because you are shaking people's paradigm up. If they're open to it, it's like, why are you doing this? People don't understand why. And then when you explain, you see the process, it's beginning to sink through. Something's happening. What, I don't know all the time, but it can only do good, yeah?
1: Exactly. Well, in our 90 seconds or so remaining, um, I, I know you also talk about and work with the connections to spirituality through creativity and, and gardening Um Say a little bit about that connection as well. You've sort of touched on it in several of your comments, but how, how does it help us sort of tap into that aspect of our lives and sort of these bigger themes of joy and beauty that you, you also connected into all of this?
0: well i think I think what gardening does I mean when you're out in nature, connecting to nature it's it really puts everything in place. We are just part of nature we're no, or even when we even when I use the term connecting with nature that's actually incorrect. We are nature and and it really makes our spotlight we're so consumed most of us with our lives, our everyday lives, and when you're out in nature, man, what an equalizer that is, and what a place I always say to people you don't need to find God. In I mean, you can if you can, you know, whatever you call God, but it's right there in the garden. I mean, anything you need is in the garden as far as finding meaning, um, asking why, connecting with a sense of cosmic consciousness, um, something greater, creative intelligence, it's all there. So the joy and beauty, if you can just let go and stay focused and mindful on what you're doing, and keep on being grateful, you know that, that affirmation of thank you, thank you, thank you, because we are so lucky to be surrounded by beauty when we're in the garden. And so that's my mantra.
1: Sounds oh, great! And I, and I, too, i I'm always awed at the miracle of the seed becoming. Abundance and the gratefulness for that. I potatoes. I think are the ones that stun me. Oh, <laughs> Even potatoes! More than the that's the one you mentioned. That, 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 yeah, no, is. that's He's true. Potatoes
0: me. are great. The potatoes are great.
1: Well, Fran, thank you so much for joining
0: us today on creativity and play. Well, thank you for having me. It's a delight, and I hope you both have a wonderful spring.
1: Thanks so much, uh, Fran. Thank you. Is a gardening okay, and creativity you- expert. Deep ecologist and author of Digging Deep, Unearthing Your Creative Roots Through Gardening. Our theme music is Kindergarten, composed and performed by Jonathan Batiste. You can listen to this show and previous shows again, find more information about our guests, and sign up to be notified about coming shows at creativityandplay.com and find Creativity and Play on Twitter, Facebook, and iTunes as well. Creativity and Play is a production of the International Center for Creativity and Imagination in partnership with the National Creativity Network. I'm Steve Dahlberg.
2: And I'm Mary Alice Long. Thank you, Fran, for being part of the cycles of our life.